Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, thank you. Welcome, 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 welcome. And the journey is about to begin because we're going to we're really going to take you somewhere that uh, you've probably never been before, and that's understanding America's favorite soft drink today. That's where we're going with our good friend, Larry Jorgensen. He came on last month, and we had some uh, issues, and uh, I think hopefully they're all fixed. But I'm excited to have him on as a guest. We, we love having Larry on. I get lots of requests for Larry to come back on the show. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I am also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. We are based out of Sacramento. We are 35 strong up and down the state, so you can find us in almost every county. Might be one person, might be two. Who knows? And we also have branches of the group in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. So that's pretty cool, huh? I used to travel from, like, section to section. Like, if I had a group down in, down in uh, like, Stockton, I would go down there, you know, and, and visit and go out with investigations and stuff. I want to get back into doing that, but the way I want to travel is <laughs> I want to go to Hawaii and go with that team, you know? Problem is, if I do that, I'll stay a month and maybe one investigation and I'll be on the beach the rest of the time. So that's just the way I am. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. we got a great show planned for you. Uh, if you haven't heard Larry talk about Coca-Cola before, you are in for a treat. And he likes questions, so you guys can ask all the questions you want. I've learned so much about Coke, and I remember... As a kid growing up, my sister and brother, my, my dad used to get, because Coke and Mouse, and Coke and Shasta used to have like, like, um, pri like, uh, you know, prize things where you buy so many Cokes or whatever, and then you could you pay a little bit and get stuff. And my sister and brother used to have Coke bell, bell bottoms that they used to wear. So it's kind of cool. You know, the, 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 there was Coca-Cola clothes that people could wear. So I remember seeing all that as a kid. I also remember my sister saving up cans of Mouse Shasta. Or, no, I'm sorry, Shasta Cola, and she got me a Pinocchio record, and I remember doing that, so all, so the software companies used to do that stuff. Larry knows all about this stuff, so he's the one to talk to about this, so we're going to do that. I want to thank everybody for listening. Oh my gosh, we have our numbers in for March, and our downloads have doubled. We have doubled. Unbelievable. I can't believe the jump. I just hope it's not a fluke <laughs> and the RSS made a mistake or something because, man, I can't believe the numbers that, that that came in this month. And I hope it continues because now the goal is every time you reach a certain number, height on a number, you want to beat that number the next month. So let's hope that continues, that trend continues. Over at YouTube, you guys that have been subscribing and listening in, thank you very much. We still need more help there. But, I mean, thank you so much because our our, our, our subscribers went up on YouTube in March too. So I'm hoping that you know you're you are sharing us with people, <laughs> well, with you know with friends and relatives and stuff because everything's starting to flow the way it's supposed to. And yes, I promised you guys I was going to do some equipment reviews, and I am going to do that. I'm going to start working on that this weekend. I have three pieces of equipment to uh, review, so uh, just you know sit tight for that. And there's going to be other stuff going on as well too that we're going to be doing. We're going to start filming a documentary of our team, and uh, each individual team member is going to get five, six minutes of film to themselves. So I'm going to, you know, so you guys can get to know them. 
like Jerry, the people that were out last Saturday night met Jerry, they met Marisa, they met Ke they met Susan and Karen. Everybody's going to get to sit in front of the camera and I'm going to ask questions and they're going to get to tell you about themselves. Why, you know, why the ghost hunt and all that stuff. But anyway, that's coming up in the future. And then I might start filming some meditations. Maybe go live on some nights for meditations and people can meditate. Wouldn't that be cool? We could, especially with summer coming, we could all become one with one with nature, right? Okay, anyway, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Down in the lower right-hand corner, there's a ghost with a hat on, a Sherlock Holmes hat, that is, and a big magnifying glass. That is our mascot. So if you click on him, that will make you a subscriber. We've got more than 200 videos over there. And some of those 200 videos feature our guest tonight, Larry. Excuse me. Larry Jorgensen. He's on those videos. You'll find him going way back when we first started doing the show in this format. So you'll get to see him there as well. But we've got all kinds of topics. I'm Like I said, like I tell you guys, I'm a journalist, a photojournalist. So I just don't like to, to do ghosty things, paranormal things. I like to copy nor copy. Ha, look at me. I like to cover normal stuff like the history of Coca-Cola. Or I'm looking at getting a guy that likes to eat bugs on and uh, a gentleman that, 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 Likes to stress that bugs have good protein. And he's trying to get people to eat more bugs. I'm trying to get this, trying to get him on. We're working on that one. But, you know, I like different stuff. You know, I, you know Ted Bundy, we're going to have a gentleman on next month talking about Ted Bundy. We're going to be talking about uh, family abuse. All that stuff. So I, I like to cover a lot of stuff. So if you're interested in a show that just doesn't cover paranormal and wants to cover other topics, this is the one for you. And I'm a real journalist. I've been a journalist for almost 30 Let's see, I started, it's about 25, 25, 27 years I've been a journalist. I'm a freelance writer for newspapers right now. And I'm also a photographer. So you get the whole package here, okay? Took my broadcast classes, did all that. Here I am. But anyway, I want to welcome all you guys. And without further ado, I don't think this gentleman, for the people, I know there's people that are excited last night. I got, I got notes from people last night. On, on Facebook Messenger and di different places in my email about how excited they were to, to have Larry back on. So, uh, you know, without further ado, I'm going to let Larry tell you about himself. But for the people that know about Larry, grab your popcorn and snacks because here we go. Hello, sir. Hey, there we are. We made it this time. Hopefully you hopefully nothing goes nothing goes wrong. You remember the story of the first, world's first automated airplane, right? We were what? <laughs> automated airplane? The first the world's first automated airplane. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, we dad were... my dad's joke was, you know, the, the the world's first automated airplane, nothing can go wrong. Wrong. Oh, okay. Wrong. 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 Yeah, right. <laughs> Sit back and relax. Sit yeah. back and relax and just yeah. Let the computer do the flight. So let's see yeah. everything goes well. How are you doing, sir? We're doing good. It's um, getting to warm weather time down here. And, of course, that means time for more reasons to drink Coca-Cola. Um, and just, you know, it, it just feels good. It's a whole new time of year coming on, and, and we're ready for it. And where are you located now? Where, where I'm in Louisiana. Um, All right. Kind of south central. Uh, if you look at the map, Alexandria is central, and we're south of Alexandria, about forty miles. We're on a pretty little bayou, 
And yeah, we have occasional alligators show up on the dock and things like that, you know. But uh, it's pretty nice here. It's nice and quiet. You make me jealous now because, see, I, I do my backyard in like a Hawaiian motif every year. And I had to buy artificial fireflies, you know, for to hang on, hang in my trees so they blow around. So you get real fireflies. Oh, yeah. We get fireflies and owls and all kinds of stuff that's flying around. Some of it you don't want, but, you know, it's pretty. And, and it's fun to be out at night and it's warm. So we're enjoying. Awesome. Awesome. See, I'm all jealous now about your fireflies. I can tell you that. Mine are green, though. They, they, they look pretty good, actually, for being artificial. As the people that um, the, the original, the people that had designed them for Disney originally branched off, and so they've had this company for years. So, so you can buy these things, you know, off market. So, so it's kind of Bayou. We run. I saw Bayou and the Pirates of the Caribbean. So, you know, kind of matches. Tell everybody about you. How did you get into writing about Coca Cola? Well, I'm I'm an old what they call an old news dog, and you know you're you're getting close to that, Charlotte. You know? <laughs> I'm almost there, yeah. But uh, I'm an old news dog, and I, I do still do a lot of writing, and I was doing some freelance travel writing, and uh, I realized that there's a Coca-Cola museum um, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is where Coca-Cola was first bottled, not Atlanta, Georgia. And then there's also another one not too far away, about 70 miles away, in Monroe, Louisiana. And I thought, eh, as a writer, you know, this would make a good travel story. We have two Coca-Cola places. You can see them both in one day. Right. So that was my mission, to create a travel story. Well, by the time I got to the second uh, location uh, and met some of the people that were involved, I realized that this was actually all over the country. There were so many interesting stories to be told. And I got, you know, people get addicted to Coke. Well, I got addicted to writing about Coke and to exploring the histories and the places where it all happened. And the play it's, you know, the book is not just history. Hey, it's summertime. You're planning a, a little trip this summer. The book will tell you places you can go that have Coca-Cola history. And it's, you know, places that it, it, we're not talking about buildings full of lawyers, but we're that maybe were a Coca-Cola plant. Um, we're talking about places that maybe it was a Coca-Cola building and now it's a, an entertainment center. Um, you know, there's one uh, I can think of off the top of my head in Dothan, Georgia, uh, Alabama, where the whole area has been converted uh, into a combination of a restaurant and a, a big outdoor um, amphitheater with entertainment. And, and it, it's great. You know, there are other places you can visit that uh, maybe are little shopping malls. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, Coca-Cola uh, plant, used to be a plant, up in Paducah, Kentucky, that now has a pizza place in it. It has a gift store. It has a little brew pub. I mean, you could go spend the, and, and a lot of people do. I, last time I visited there, you know, there were people from all over the country. You see the license plates. And it's a great attraction, a beautiful building, and it's something that you can go see and enjoy. And while you're there, the book is going to tell you what it was in its days of Coca-Cola, you know, how it was built, when it was built, 
who the owners were, what what problems they went through. You know, this it Coca Cola didn't just automatically happen. It's like any business. It took a bunch of ambitious entrepreneurs all over the country to make it happen. And that's kind of the book pays tribute to those people. I, I just love the book. Love it, love it, love it. Let me ask you something. I mean, back, did you grow up in the South? Did I what? Grow up, grow up in the South? No, actually, I, I, I'll tell you the story. I'm, I'm what they call, down here, I'm what they call a damn Yankee, okay? okay. okay. I, and I'll have to explain the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee. Okay. Okay, a Yankee is somebody from up north. Okay, a damn Yankee, and that's me, is somebody from up north who didn't go home. Okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so I've been, I've been here. I was in uh, radio and television uh, down here, moved back up north, and I started missing the south. I missed the food. I missed the people. I missed the way of life, okay. and uh, I just I had the opportunity to come back and stay. Um, there was a journalist in Atlanta by the name of Louis Grizzard. You may or may not have heard of Louis. Mm -hmm. And he moved back to Atlanta uh, from Chicago. And he has a saying, and I've adopted it. He said when he moved back south, he nailed his shoes to the ground. And that's, that's pretty much where I am right now. Lots of, you know, it's it's interesting. There was a story um, that I was reading the other day, there was two two people up north were arguing as to whether or not it should be called soda or pop. I was thinking that, you know, and so in the middle of their they're they're debating this back and forth, and in walks somebody from the south and says, "Oh, look at I see you got blueberry coke here," because in the <laughs> In the South, everything's a Coke. You know, I don't care what you, they walk in and you say, I want a Coke. And they say, well, what kind do you want? You know, so it just depends on where you live, what it is, you know. That was a question I was going to ask you. See, so you, you already answered it. <laughs> About in the early days, when you know, when Coke first came out, did they call it Coke or was it called a pop? It was, it was always called, well, actually it was called Coca-Cola. Okay. And, and what happened, uh, at least in the South, it was, okay, right. it, it got the nickname of pop and so forth from people popping the bottle. But what happened, uh, people started calling it Coke. It was easier to say, walk in and say, oh, give me a Coke. Well, everybody knew it was a Coca-Cola. But Coke, the company, Coca-Cola corporate, didn't like that at first. They didn't want their drink being called Coke, and they tried to discourage it to no avail. And um, finally, you may recall the, the there was a Coca Cola um, mural advertising that for years used a little what they called the Sprite Boy. Okay, and he was a little character. Uh, depending on whether he was selling Coke in a glass or in a bottle. He would either have a so a, a bottle cap on mm -hmm. or a soda jerk cap. And he was in murals and advertising and so forth. Coca-Cola created the Sprite Boy, as he was known, because they wanted to use him to promote the word Coke. 
They gave up. Everybody was calling it Colt. They said, okay, we're going to go along with the game. His name is the Sprite Boy, and he's our man for Coke. And that and that's, you know, again, the, the customer wins, and that's the way it should be. That's a neat story. You know, when I think of you, I think of you as those antique guys on, on Discovery Channel. You're the ones that drive around going through the barns. <laughs> I always have these visions of you driving around and you stop by this, this old place. And you're like, wow, that's an old Coca-Cola sign. I want. Well, I'm, yeah, I don't collect the memorabilia, although a lot of the places that I visited, uh, Coca-Cola families, people right. that are still bottling, have given me uh, things like collector trays that, that that they had made when their company was 100 years old or whatever. Uh, so I do have a, a collection, but I, I I do not look for, you know, other than I'm fascinated by it, I right. don't look for it to purchase. There is a very large Coca-Cola memorabilia collectors organization. And not only are they huge in the United States, but they have collectors in Australia. And I get I get messages from them, you know, other countries. Uh, they have an annual convention. Last year, conveniently, it was held in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I went. Of course, I took my books, you know, buy some books. This year, it's going to be held in July in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, you talk, you talk about getting lucky again. I was on television in Green Bay. So, I, you know, I, we got to go back to Green Bay and see how things are going, you know, with that. They got a football team up there, I think. Anyhow, so, you know, the Coca-Cola collectors, back to the why we're talking, they collect. It's amazing. They collect signs and and vending machines and, and anything that's got Coca-Cola on it, if it's original, you know, not a reproduction. You could go into, you know, your favorite Walmart come Christmas time and buy reproduction Coca-Cola whatevers, you know. But the original items is what they collect, and some of them are, are valuable. Um, I'll tell you, if, I don't think we talked about the, the – $150,000 bottle last time. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, Coca-Cola, the bottle that we're all familiar with was invented, patented in 1905. And it was the result of a competition. The Coca-Cola company said to the bottle manufacturers in the United States, we want a bottle that when people pick it up, they know it's Coca-Cola. There were there was too much competition in the marketplace. Uh, people were making colas. They were calling them, you know, anything cola spelled with a K, whatever. And and the, the poor consumer was confused. You know, am I getting a Coca-Cola or what am I getting? So Coke said, we want a bottle. We're going to patent it, copyright it, whatever. It's our bottle. So there were five companies that entered the competition and the, each company made six bottles to be judged. And in 1905, the bottles were taken to a Coca-Cola bottlers convention and each one, each different type was judged. The one that was selected 
is the one we know now, was made by a company in Indiana, the Root Glass Company. So after that bottle was selected, then Coca-Cola said, all right, all of the other bottles we want destroyed. And as far as the winning bottle, we want to keep one for the archives. The others should be destroyed. That's what we thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turned out, the uh, family uh, who, the fellow that designed the bottle for the Root Company, um, his family ended up with one of the bottles. One of them escaped and uh, stayed in that family for generations. Um, although the other you know, bottles were destroyed. Mm -hmm. And about two years ago, that bottle came up for sale at an estate auction. Uh, obviously, the generations that uh, came later in the family decided, let's, let's sell the bottle, see what we can get for it. Came up for sale in an estate auction, and it went for over $150,000. Now, I don't know about you, Charlotte, but when I was a kid, you know, we we pick up the bottles and take them back for two cents. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you get enough of them, you get your next Coke for free, you know. Wow. But 150000 and the reason we know, you say, well, how do you know that was the bottle? Because on the bottom of the bottle was the date embossed, 1905. Coca-Cola never started using that bottle in production until 1906. So it was, in fact, a survivor of the judging, and a very it was a valid treasure for sure. That's incredible. That yeah, that is something. That is something. And for people that don't realize it, when you look at bottles that are made today, the quality is not even close. You know, a lot of them are plastic. I remember getting um, Coca Cola in Europe when I was around. I'm not going to tell you guys how old I am, but I'm old, and um, I must have been around maybe 10 or 11 or 12. And it was the first time I ever saw the short Coke bottle, you know, the kind they have in the vending machines. Right. And it was just that the glass was just so thick, the quality on it. Well, you know, what's happened with the glass bottles, um, you know, like I said, we used to take them back for two cents, right? They were returnables. Coca-Cola, probably back about in the 19... 70s, 1980s, started telling their Coca-Cola bottlers, we are entering a throwaway society time. People don't want to take bottles back. Not only is that happening, but consequently canning is becoming popular. And the bottlers were faced with, how are we going to compete? And the bottle manufacturers were. So two, it was resolved two ways. First of all, to, to get into canning, th these guys have been bottling for generations. Mm -hmm. And canning is a whole new game and an expensive game. So what they did, a lot of the, the bottlers would get together. They'd form a co-op. And together they, they would make a bottle and or a can i mean and and they'd all buy from the same canner well at the same time the glass company said wait a minute we have to compete in this throwaway market 
So you talk about, you know, how the bottle used to be heavy and so forth. Well, that was because the bottle was being recycled. It was being used again and again. So the glass companies started making a thinner, less expensive, throwaway bottle. They had to compete. And that's why today's bottle, it may look the same, but it's not the same thickness. It's not the same weight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember how heavy those were. You know, just it's just it was interesting because my dad laughed because at that point they were no longer making those size of cokes, you know, coke bottles. And when we got them in Europe, and then, you know what's funny is that back when we went to Europe, nobody drank anything cold. And when they brought this restaurant, when they brought these cokes out to us, they were ice cold. And I mean, we were just chugging cokes. And there's a photo of us with like 20 cokes on the table. <laughs> just the three my my you know it's my mom and dad and i drinking them i mean because we were just so starved for it you know it's just amazing how far they were able to take coke i mean starting like they did and then having it spread around the world like that well again it's because you had all these entrepreneurs young business people who had the opportunity to create the coca-cola empire coca-cola couldn't have done it by themselves without the people saying yeah and you know they were buying territories they'd buy a 50 mile radius to be the coca-cola bottler well if you're going to buy the territory and make the product you're going to go out there and work to make sure the product is sold Mm -hmm. and you know and that that's what made coca-cola grow the way it grew didn't Ray Kroc uh, kind of model his company after Coke, you know, in, 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 as far as distribution went? Who did it? Ray Kroc? McDonald's. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and wh- what do you find in McDonald's now? Coca-Cola. Okay. Oh, yeah. And those fantastic machines now, you know, you go up, you, you got about, what, 20, 30 choices, you hit a button. And something Coca-Cola comes out of that machine, you know, mm-hmm. amazing. The technology, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, when when you were young and and I know uh, we'd go get our Coke out of the vending machine, the early ones, you know, you lifted the lid and there they were, they were all in a line. You put in your, your nickel or your six cents and you slide one down and pull it up, you know, um, today's technology like everything else it's you got to keep up if you want to get your coke yes absolutely they have some real fancy machines now like over burger king there's some crazy machines i'm afraid to push the buttons yeah yeah the first time i saw them i'm like what am i how am i going to get a coke out of this thing (laughs) but by necessity you learn it's just at, at our age charlotte it takes us a little bit longer to learn than than the you know the the kids that are walking in they understand it right away. Yeah, see the kids are all into that stuff. I walked into Burger King and thought, God, if I even mess up one button, I'm going to get some kind of Dr Pepper thing or something. Man, so what 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 has made Coke stand out from everybody else? Well, I think the biggest thing with Coke because you had your local people involved mm-hmm. was in fact the community involvement. The Coca-Cola bottlers were truly involved in the community that they sold. You know, they were building 
football fields and baseball fields. They were giving scholarships. If, if there was a parade, there was a Coca-Cola float in it. If there was a, an event going on, Coca-Cola was there to sponsor it. Um, it's just, it was that local ownership, that local involvement. You know, Coca-Cola Coca tried, Coca-Cola corporate tried at one point back in the 60s, 70s, to start buying and taking over some of the territories. And they took over. They bought and took over a lot of territories. Mm -hmm. What happened, you know, is they found they couldn't handle it all from Atlanta, Georgia. And pretty soon, these territories are going back to Coca-Cola bottlers in those areas because it's the local bottler who knew the local people. I mean, I think, of, for example, Corinth, Mississippi, you know, it so happens up there they've got this great uh, marathon that the Coca-Cola company up there in Corinth puts on every year. It's huge. It brings in all kinds of people. And it's because the people in that Coca-Cola plant in Mississippi they like they like to be involved in marathons, and mm -hmm. they they said our town needs one, and it's become a major marathon in Mississippi, the uh, Coca Cola Marathon in Corinth, Mississippi, uh, and I see that all over when I'm out uh, following up on the on the story. It's just everybody has got something going on that works in his community. Well, you don't know that unless you're involved in that community. That's the big difference. You know, it's 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 local involvement, and Coke Coke got onto it pretty quick. They knew what to do. So you keep pretty busy. I mean, as far as like looking for updates for you know for your book and stuff, you're keeping pretty busy. Well, not only that, but I write for the Coca-Cola Collectors Magazine. I, I do it primarily as a favor and to stay in touch with Coca-Cola. And I keep saying I'm not going to do another. I've done two books. Right. But, but you know, I, I have not got this box that I keep putting ideas into. And I, I, I um, have written several articles for their magazine. And... I've got enough pretty soon to start another another book. I don't know what are we going to call the next one. I just I'm just fascinated by the people that have gotten involved in this business. And you know, as an old news log, you you like to write about something that's real. Mm -hmm. And the Coca Cola stories are all real. They're all real people, and they're all different. You know that first book. There's 30 chapters. And there's 30 different stories. You know, the second book, I think we've got 20 some, what is it, 26 chapters. And again, it's, it's you know, we, we talk about uh, Quincy, Florida, for example, where that at one time was the, the town that per capita had more millionaires than any other town in the country. And the reason it did is because it was a wise old banker before the Depression who believed in himself and encouraged his friends and his fellow uh, business people to invest in Coca-Cola stock. Mm -hmm. They did. The Depression came 
there was no, if you had Coca-Cola stock, you were home free. And they said at one time that town was in fact per capita, the town with the most millionaires in the United States. So we wrote about that. We went there and talked to people and, and again, what a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, uh, a good example. We talk about the Coca-Cola logo. Um, well, there's a, a wildlife artist in Minnesota um, that started his career. He's inter- He was internationally famous. He, he died a couple of years ago. But he started his painting career painting Coca-Cola logos on the sides of trucks, painting Coca-Cola outdoor murals, and so forth. He got to the point, he had done it so much, and we talk about it in the book and we show samples. He tell people, I can paint the Coca-Cola logo upside down and backwards. And when he became a famous wildlife artist, he would go to these uh, wildlife banquets, you know, like Ducks Unlimited and so forth. He'd take a tablecloth and he'd write the Coca-Cola logo upside down and backwards. And, you know, they auctioned it off, you know. Um, but the interesting thing about him, when he was still painting Coca-Cola murals and so forth, a Coca-Cola bottler in Tifton, Georgia, said, will you come down here and paint a Coca-Cola mural on a baseball field wall for me? And he said, sure. So he, yeah, obviously he was going to get paid for it. So he goes down there, he's talking to the bottler, and he said, you know, I've painted this logo so many times, and it really needs a little help. It needs a little more depth to it. I just, can I just touch it up a little bit? And the bottler said, well, yeah, go ahead, you know, whatever you want to do. So the artist paints the sign on the on the baseball field. And the bottler is so impressed with the, the what he'd done with the logo. And it wasn't a major change. Mm-hmm. It was just enough to make it stand out a little bit. That he called Atlanta, Georgia, not that far to, from Tifton. And Coca-Cola Corporate sent a couple people up to look at what the artist had painted on the baseball wall. They looked at it. They liked it. They went back to to Atlanta. Two days later, they show back up in Tifton, Georgia. They have a rather substantial check and a contract for the artist to sign. And Coca-Cola bought that logo to use from there on out from that artists from Minnesota. So Coca-Cola is all over the place. And that's been part of the fun of writing a book is you find these little secrets. You know, in fact, I told that story to um, someone because I I was trying to verify it. And I was talking to people at Coca-Cola archives in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lady there said, let me go through the files. And she goes, she said, all I can find is that we did pay that gentleman some money, but I don't know why. <laughs> so I said, I'll tell you why. And I told, I told her the story. So it was a, a pretty well unknown story until we dug it out while we were traveling. That's just interesting. And, 
and and you know the 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 fact that you're able to research all this, like you say, and dug it out, it, it's just it's just fascinating because Coca Cola goes back so far. When was the first bottle of Coke made? Well, the Coke was first bottled in uh, 1895 in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Now, prior to that, uh, Coca-Cola was made as a syrup, and it was sold, you know, in gallon containers to the local drugstore. And if you wanted a Coca-Cola, you walked in and you ordered a Coca-Cola, and they would take a glass and put a, you know, a small amount of Coca-Cola syrup in the glass, give it a shot of carbonated water, voila, you know, and. Asa Candler, who owned Coca-Cola at that time, thought that's what we need to do. We need to sell the syrup. So when Joe Biedenharn in 1895 started bottling it in Vicksburg, he sent two cases to Mr. Candler in Georgia because Joe was buying the syrup. He was buying it, using it at his drugstore, and he was selling it to other people. And uh, so he wanted to make sure there'd be no problem. And, you know, Candler sent back a note and said, ah, that's all right. But, you know, Joe was not real happy because he said, Candler never sent my bottles back. You know, and in those days, you know, bottles were a big thing. So he went on bottling for five years. Mm -hmm. And there was only one other place that got into bottling. And that was like three years after Joe in Valdosta, Georgia. There was a bottler there who was doing. Oh, no, no, no. Not again, not again, not again. Oh, we were doing so well, weren't we? Uh-oh. Well, let's see if I can add him back in. Well, blasted all the pieces. So I'm going to go ahead and see if I can add him back in and bring him back up. It was not, you know, they were, sell the syrup. That's what we want you to do, sell mm -hmm. the syrup. And it was finally, five years later, the two young, ambitious lawyers from Chattanooga went to Atlanta, Georgia, talked to Mr. Candler and said, we want to buy the exclusive rights to bottle Coca-Cola in the United States. This can't be happening. Every time he comes, well, we lost him. He'll come back on. Wow. I think his internet connection let, let, let us down this time, so we'll wait for Larry to come back. Give him a second to come back on. So, anyway, you know, Larry is a cool guy to talk to. He knows all about, obviously, he knows about Coca-Cola. Here we go. He's back. Ah, ah, ah. Go for a Coke. Anyhow, I was telling you about the guy. Coke, yeah. <laughs> How far did we get? Did we get the guys from Chattanooga going to Atlanta? You were just starting that, yeah. Okay, well, they went to Atlanta. They asked to buy the exclusive rights to bottle Coca-Cola in the United States. Mr. Candler said it's a dumb idea. You know, I, I just, uh, no, you know. Well, they kept talking to him and talking. Finally, he's, I think he wanted to get rid of them. He said, you guys go back to the hotel tonight, drop a contract, bring it in the morning, I'll take a look at it. So they go back and they have a contract to be the exclusive bottlers of Coca-Cola in the United States. And, and Candler says, all right, 
I'll sign it, but you can't have Mississippi because Joe's already doing it. So he sold them the rights to bottle Coca-Cola throughout the United States for $1. The exclusive rights for $1. And the story is that he never bothered to collect a, a dollar. And as they walked out the door to get their train back to, to Chattanooga, he told them, this is a really dumb idea. And if it doesn't work, don't you come back crying to me about it. You know? <laughs> so they go back. They go back to Chattanooga, right? Now they've got the rights to bottle Coca-Cola all over the country. But you know what? They between the two of them, they got fifteen hundred dollars. And all of a sudden, it's like we have a problem here, don't we? <laughs> you know? So they start a little bottling company, you know, and and they'd never bottled before. And you got bottles that are exploding, and the workers in this little bottling plant are wearing uh, protective mesh, you know, so they don't get. And finally, it was like, wait a minute. The light goes on. We've got the rights. Why don't we start selling the territories? Right. You know, that's the old, you know, the old franchise game before it was a franchise. And so they, they would, you want to buy Coca-Cola in Paducah, Kentucky? We'll sell you the territory. You got 50 miles around Paducah for $1,500. Now, the only thing, when you bottle Coca-Cola in your territory, you must use Coca-Cola syrup. It's got to be Coca-Cola. So the, the new bottler in Paducah, he'd order his Coca-Cola syrup, and it would get shipped in from Atlanta. But the guys that sold him the territory, they got a commission. Every time he bought a gallon of syrup, they got a commission. They may have sold him the territory, but they were smart enough to figure out how to keep things going, you know. Right. So that really is why Coca-Cola grew the way it did. All these people investing whatever dollars they could into buying their little piece of Coca-Cola and making it happen. So in, in the, uh, a lot of the time, like we talked about in previous shows, too, a lot of it was word of mouth. You know, pe people would buy Coca-Cola, share it with somebody, and then they'd want it, and then it just it just it just kept rolling, right? Right, and and the the uh, the two that had the uh, original rights, mm -hmm. I mean, they, they would talk to friends. You know, um, they were in Chattanooga, and this became pretty prosperous for them and they ended up uh having homes at least the one did up on on top of lookout mountain and uh of course there's this what they call the incline railroad that goes from downtown chattanooga up to the mountain where nice homes and so forth you know sea rock city sort of thing and the uh, the one uh gentleman who lived up there he'd meet somebody on the on the train and by the time they got to the top of the hill, he probably sold them the franchise. <laughs> I, I know two two cases specifically we write about in the book, and one of them, in fact, was Paducah, where the contact was made uh, on that train, and they bought the territories and went back to their hometowns and started bottling Coca-Cola. Wow. It's an incredible story. I mean, it's it's truly a story of, of the little guy making good. 
It is. It's, it's, you know, it's America. It's, it's what made this country. It's the opportunity that you have. And now I sound like a politician, but it's true. Like no other country, we have the opportunity to succeed. You know, just what do you want to do and go work at it. And you got a good chance you'll succeed at it. And that, it was the right people in the right country with the right product at the right time. That's Coca-Cola. And the other question I was thinking is, as demand increased, because you had all these little places that were bottling and doing stuff, how was that handled? I mean, because uh, obviously when it took off, it just took off. Well, what happened, you know, the the bottlers that would have a territory, they, they might open a sub-plant. You know, in those days, you know, you had gravel roads and, you know, transportation by not real reliable vehicles and sometimes by by horse or, or mule, mule-drawn wagons. But as roads got better and as vehicles got better, now we see the big Coca-Cola semis down the road all the time, then, then came consolidation. The little plants were closed. The bigger, the other ones got bigger, and then, as families through the years pass the business down to the next generation, sometimes the next generation said, "We don't want to do this. We want to cash in." So not only was there the consolidation to a single plant, but there was also the consolidation of owners. Uh, a, a person that had, <clears throat> excuse me, had six plants might buy another person that had six, and but they were all bottled at one place, and transportation became the answer compared to uh, having to set up a little bottling operation. Mm-hmm. And how, how many cities had this distribution of? to do you know was it every it couldn't have been every city in the united states or was it well yeah ultimately it was i mean either either because the plants that were serving that area uh set up if there was a need believe me the american system is meet the need because you make you'll make a profit at it and as the as the brand became popular and people were traveling distances to get it, the bottlers realized that if we got it to them, we'd sell more. Mm-hmm. So in the early days, you know, it was get it to them by um, mule-drawn wagon. I've got in in my first book, and we've made copies of it, mm-hmm. there's a picture, I think it's on page four in the first book, of someone that we call the world's first Coca-Cola delivery man. He was in Vicksburg, Mississippi, so nobody else was bottling. And it's this black gentleman on a wagon with a mule and a load of Coca-Cola cases behind him. Well, he had to be Coca-Cola's first delivery man, you know, compared to what do we see now, the the big trucks and all the fancy vehicles, you know. So and we we got so much response to that, that photo that we've actually had it uh, 
enhanced and colorized. And we do have copies of that that is available. And a lot of times we just give them away. Now, my next question is, like you said, this started in the late 1800s. What about the sarsaparilla? Because that was out for years and years and years. Um, was it the same type of, well, we don't know what the formula is for Coke is to this day. Nobody knows. But I mean. I, I really don't know too much about it, except it seemed to have been the, the cool drink before Coca-Cola. How it was made, there was, was there a commonplace making the syrup? Uh, I haven't really haven't looked into that, but it is a name. You remember the old Western movies when Gabby Hayes would come into the bar and he'd say, "Uh, give me a sarsaparilla, bartender, you know, so. And a dirty glass, yeah. (laughs) Been around a while. Maybe maybe that should be the subject of the next book. Or, Or how about, you know, we'll talk about other brands here in the South, and I guess maybe other places. You know, what's this thing about an RC cola and a moon pie. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. how did all of that start? I mean, they're not they're not sister companies. I have done a little snooping on that. Um, the, in fact, ironically, the moon moon pies are were and still are made by a company in Chattanooga. Okay, RC Cola was the offshoot of a company called Churro Cola that Coca-Cola went after in a lawsuit and won, and they had to quit using that name. So then they became knee-high, and then finally they became RC Cola. But how RC and Moon Pie became a Southern lunch is beyond me. But down here, you know, Give me a moon pie and an RC cola. So there's there's these traditions that grow up with certain brands in different places. It's a fun thing to watch. It's interesting. And the history of Coca-Cola is interesting in that. I mean, caught. I think think I'm losing you again, girl. Coca-Cola has survived a lot. I'm I'm losing part of you. Just say it again. I can see you, but I can't hear you. Okay. Well, Coca-Cola, you know, when when you look at the history of Coca-Cola and how long it's been around, I mean, it has survived a lot, world wars and everything else. Well, yeah, and not only has it survived, but it's learned things. You talk about world wars. During World War II, Coca-Cola went overseas to the war front and set up little bottling plants because it was we want our soldiers to have coca-cola and guess what happened i would imagine when the boys came back from fighting overseas what do you think they wanted a coca-cola because coca-cola was there for them you know it's again it's we were talking earlier about how coca-cola gets involved that's a good case of how they got involved and you know there's a in my one book there's a story a chapter about aliceville alabama and the museum there okay well the museum used to be a coca-cola plant it became the city museum but the, the neat thing about aliceville besides being a Coca-Cola bottling place and museum, Aliceville during the Second World War was one of 
our country's biggest prisoner of war camps. And because that camp was in Aliceville, the Coca-Cola bottler there uh, had to service that particular prisoner of war camp. Well, not only were they making Coca-Colas for the, the American soldiers that were taking care of the camp, they obviously were making them for the German prisoners as well. And, you know, the, the prisoners that came over, they didn't know what was going to happen. They right. thought, prisoners of war, huh, we may be killed when we get to the United States. Instead, they end up in Aliceville, and here's this company working like crazy to make sure that they got Coca-Cola to drink, you know. So, you know, and, and of course, during the Second World War, there was a lot of rationing, including sugar rationing. Mm -hmm. Well, the Coca-Cola plant in Aliceville did not have to deal with sugar rationing. The government gave them all the sugar they needed to make Coca-Colas because they had to take care of the POW camp. Um, the, the gentlemen at the uh, museum, they also have some artifacts from that uh, prisoner of war camp, uh, items that the prisoners made and so forth. And he told me that some of the prisoners were so amazed at the way they were treated when they came to the United States as prisoners, that a lot of them didn't go back to Germany after the war. They stayed, you know, it was kind of like a welcome blanket, I guess. I don't know. That's very interesting. See, you see, I'm, I'm getting new things out of you that we didn't talk about before. This is great stuff. Well, uh, you know, get get me going, Charlotte. I guess it, there's there's it brings memories and and there's so much to talk about and and I, so much to learn. I mean, I, today I I learned some things about Coca Cola because someone had sent me an article and I read it and I said I didn't know that and it was an article about. You know, Asa Candler is the one that had the company for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, when he finally sold, his children got a lot of money. One of them was Asa Candler Jr. Mm -hmm. And this gentleman in Illinois sent me a photo of a car that he owns. The car is called a locomobile. Well, the locomobile, I learned a lot about this. The locomobile at one time was called America's greatest car. It was first a, similar to a Stanley Steamer, and then it went to combustion. But it, the, the work on that car was amazing. This man owns one of three that were made on a in a specific year. And, and one of those three went to Asa Candler. Junior, Asa Candler Jr. And the story about who else owned the other ones. And and he sent me a video or sent me where to go look at a video. Mm -hmm. and it's him at a car show. And the, the workings on this car are amazing, you know. And he has one of three that were made and the other two because, again, because of the war, they became a premium for salvage because they were so well built and and we needed steel in the war this one like the coca-cola bottle escaped the salvage yards and this gentleman in illinois has it and he takes a lot of pride in the fact that it's one it's identical 
to the one that Asa Candler Jr. owned. I learned that today. And you know, it, it's just, you get this all the time. People call, well, what about this? Or like I had a, a situation a few weeks ago where somebody called me up and they said, we're restoring an old Coca-Cola plant and it's going to be an entertainment center uh, in this specific town. Um, would you be interested? So, yeah, I did an article and we did some research and some pictures and, and learned a lot about Coca-Cola in that town. So there's no end to it, Charlotte. I mean, the murals that are around the country that cities are paying money to preserve, to restore, it's the same thing. They have this this history. You know, I, I asked people when I'm I'm told about they're restoring a mural that they maybe they've it took fifty thousand dollars, which it did. I know one it took fifty thousand dollars to restore, and they raised money in the city. They they raised money. They got the state to to match the funds, and I asked. I said, why? It's just a, it's an advertising mural. I said, right. no, I said no, it's not. It's a memory. It was in this city back in nineteen twenty something or whatever. It's a memory. People recall when they went downtown. It was part of our town. We don't want to lose that memory. Mm -hmm. So now you tell me another company that people go to that length to save their advertising because that's all it was. It was advertising, right. advertising, but it was advertising. That's awesome. That is really cool. And that's, and that, we talk about that in the book. There's a, um, a group of art students. Uh, I think this is in my second book from the university of Georgia. Uh -huh. That's appropriate since Coke is there, right. but they're, um, art professor put this group of students together and what they do is they go around the state and they get some money to for their college you know but they will restore coca-cola murals so they can in the book i i talk about several that they've done and have pictures of them and i thought now that that's you know there are communities that will pay these art students to come in and restore these murals mm -hmm. and the students just love doing it. Absolutely. What do you think makes Coke stand out among all the other drinks? I think, I think it's pretty basic. It's a flavor. You know, even to this day, when they come out with all the new ones and which by the way, I do like the Coca-Cola coffee. That, oh, I was going to ask you about that. That, that, that has become uh, you, that's become a favorite of mine, okay? Um, but even when they come with the new flavors that are Coca-Cola flavors, now they have other things they've made, but, you know, you had the Coca-Cola orange, which reminded me of the old orange dreamsicle, you know. It still has that basic Coca-Cola flavor to it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and nobody has been able to really match that. You know, what about the story that, and maybe we talked about before the Pepsi challenge. Did we talk about that no, one? I think so. Okay. Remember back, well, it must have been the 70s, 80s. It was on TV. It was a Pepsi challenge. And you'd go up and they'd televise this and you have, there would be two little unmarked cups of cola. And you would sample each one. 
and which was which is your favorite? Well, majority, a, a pretty substantial majority were picking Pepsi. Mm-hmm. You know, and it bothered Coca Cola. You know, what are they do about this? So they, you know, they tried the two drinks and they compared them, and they said, ah, we know. So they created something you may recall that was called called the new Coca Cola. Oh God, yeah. And nobody liked it, right? Yeah. They tried for two years to convince America that the that the new Coca Cola, this is it. Nobody liked it. I, I had distributors tell me that when their salesman would show up at a grocery store with a load of new Coca-Cola, little old ladies would come up to him and threaten him and he'd bring back my Coca-Cola. <laughs> Why? Why did it happen? Because you could do it yourself. Pepsi is sweeter. Okay? Now, if you get just a sip of two different drinks, mm-hmm. chances are you'll like the sweeter one. Right. But if you have to drink the whole bottle... The most satisfying is the other one, the Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola, it took them two years to figure out what was wrong. They made it too sweet. You know, don't be Pepsi, be Coca-Cola. You know, go with the one that brought you to the dance, you know. I mean, (laughs) so simple. But, uh, But that's a good example, the flavor. It, right. it is indeed the flavor of Coca-Cola. Uh, and there are people that say, well, yeah. and, and there is some truth to this, that the Coca-Colas from Mexico are better. Maybe out where you are, you may even hear that a bit. Sometimes, yeah. And and it is true. They are better. It uses the same formula, but they use the Mexican cane sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives it just a little different taste. And there are actually companies in the United States that will import, because there is a demand for Mexican Coca-Cola. You know, it's the same basic syrup. It's made the same way, but it's got the Mexican sugar in it. And it, it does taste a little different. Fantastic. You know, Larry, it's still great talking to you. It's just fantastic. We love it. We love it. My, my listeners love it, and these hours go by so fast. Yeah, and it's fun because you you get me talking about something that I've really learned to appreciate. You know, no, I don't get up in the morning and have to have a Coca Cola, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate the history. And there's always cold Coca Cola in my refrigerator, but mm-hmm. now it's the Coca Cola coffee. I like that. Well, there you go. I want to thank you for coming on again. We're going to have hopefully we can get you back on at some point. Well, I'm I'm going to give you a little secret. Okay. I'm working on another book and it, it will be out should be out by the end of June. There we go. Okay. It's a shipwreck story. Okay. It's a Lake Superior shipwreck story and it's not the Edmund Fitzgerald. This is like no other shipwreck that has ever occurred. And uh it's a fascinating story, and I'd love to come back and, and tell your listeners about it. Let's do that. Let's plan on that, okay? All right, we will. It's a date. It's a date. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? The best way to, to get the book 
or both books or whatever, is simply the Coca-Cola Trail dot com. Okay. Okay. And tell me who you are and I'll, I'll autograph it to you. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Larry. Have a great evening. Thank you for coming on and we will see you with your new book. Okay. You bet. Thank you, Charlotte. All right, Larry. Bye-bye. All right. He's always fun to have on. You guys love him. I love him. We just, what would we do without Larry? <laughs> I love the whole Coca-Cola thing. It was great. Uh, tomorrow, we've got a special guest coming on. And uh, remember I was talking to you guys about uh, remote viewing and the people I've worked with doing it? Well, this is who I work with, Nancy Matz. She's going to be coming on tomorrow. We're going to talk about remote viewing and ghost hunting and some other stuff. So uh, be sure to tune in. You know, we usually don't do a Friday show, but we're doing it this week. Might start doing Friday shows, you know, the way we'll see how it goes. But that'll be our usual time tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And we will be here with with, with Psychic Nancy Matz. And she's had a heck of a career, a heck of a career. And I'll let her tell you about her career because if I do it, I'll get all messed up and get yelled at and all that stuff. So, you know, you can do that. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated my show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here, and we're trying to get the word out as much as we can, and it's working. I mean, like I said earlier when we started the show, we have doubled our downloads, and I'm excited, and they're all over the world. I think it's fantastic. We are in the Mideast. We're, we're in Europe. We're everywhere. It's just, it's just really cool to, to see those little lights on the map, you know, when, when I look at the download map. And you can, you can find us not only here and on Facebook and on Twitter, but we're on Spotify, we're on, we're on TuneIn, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Apple, we're on all kinds of stuff. So if you're driving, if you're bored while you're driving, you can tune into us. Whatever your favorite podcast carrier is, we're there. So you can check us out. Not only that, on Apple, you can also check out our shows from Blog Talk because those are over on Apple. You'll find two California Haunts radios. One's the newer version, one's the older version. But all our shows from Blog Talk are over there, too. So check those out, right? Subscribe to YouTube. We need more subscribers, and the more the merrier. Love to see subscribers. And uh, you, you can search for us. Look up California Haunts on YouTube, and you might get, get us. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't hit and miss, even though I have a dedicated U, 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 URL to it. The best way to do it is to go to our website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Click on the video there. That'll take you over the YouTube site, and then you can subscribe from there. Or if you'd rather just stay on that on, on the radio site, you can just go into uh, our archives, and all the shows are there as well. So, I mean, there's there's a couple ways you can check us out. But uh, thank you all for coming tonight. And if you want to check out the Paranormal Team, that's another California Haunts, californiahaunts.org. We're over there. So check us out over there. But again, thank you all for coming. We'll be back here tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with Nancy Matz. And I'm going to uh, show you uh, Larry's book one more time, his website information. And you can get his book there or even at Amazon. But uh, I'll show you that information as well. So here we go. Website, thecocacolatrail.com. Lots of information on there about Coca-Cola. And like he says, there's two books now. I just have the one book, but the Coke, the one book is the Coca-Cola Trail, People and Places, in the History of Coca-Cola.
And again, like he said, you can you can get those books at his website, or you know if if, if you'd rather do it at <clears throat> Amazon, then there you have it, Amazon. Okay, well, thank you guys. Oh yes, that's right. I almost forgot. I got that little ticker thing running at the bottom. That's because California Haunts is a nonprofit, and everything you see here comes out of my pocket, whether it's the mics, the headphones, the uh, 4K digital camera, the you know lights, you name it. Any equipment that the paranormal team uses all comes out of my pocket. If something breaks, I have to pay for it. So if you guys could help me keep this show on the air, that would be great. You know, I'm paying for the internet, paying for StreamYard service, and a few other things. Uh, I'd appreciate any help you could give me. I love doing this stuff. Like I said, I'm a journalist, photojournalist. This is what I do. I love bringing guests on like Larry. I want to keep bringing guests on like Larry, you know, really good guests for you guys. So if you could donate a little bit, that would be great. That's at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo. And then just type in California Haunts and uh, we'll pop right up. But I really appreciate it, you know, because I enjoy doing the show. And I know you guys enjoy listening to the show. So that's my PBS moment. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow. Have a good evening and see you on the airwaves.